Our reading this morning drops us right in the middle of a dramatic scene involving two of God's anointed leaders. One is Saul, the current king of Israel, who is motivated by fear and jealousy as he attempts to safeguard his kingly power. The other is David, a future king of Israel on the run, who is motivated by delighting in God and staying alive. Take a moment and consider the intensity of this scene. Imagine that you are in David's sandals. For several years, you've been chased far from home into a desolate desert by an army of ancient day Navy SEALs. The men that are on the run with you look more like a traveling circus of misfits than soldiers who can protect you. Your large and capable enemy detects your footprints and quickens their pace toward you. As they draw near, you take the only option at your disposal and cower in the deepest, darkest part of a cave. In the quiet darkness, you silently hope for the best, but expect the worst. Soon, you hear a noise. Instead of the sound of clanking metal that you would expect from an army searching your cave, you hear the faint footsteps of one person. From terrified to curious, you begin to carefully crawl toward the noise until you discover the king who has been stalking you alone and indisposed. Behold, God has given our enemy into our hands. What David's men murmur among themselves is likely how you feel at this very moment. You have an opportunity to once and for all stop a wrathful king from threatening your life. What do you do? This morning, we continue our summer series on the life of David by focusing on God's design for authority. Our reading this morning presents us with two conflicting visions of authority, one held by David and the other held by Saul. These different visions account for how they act towards each other and towards God. Based on the contrast of their actions in this chapter, I would like to leave you with two takeaways. The first is that authority is a gift from God, not a byproduct of human effort. This view is one of the primary reasons that these two anointed men of God take on the roles of hunter and hunted. The second is authority becomes a blessing when we use it for God's purposes, but a curse when we use it for our own self-interest. God's desire for us is to thrive in his creation. In order to thrive, we must use our authority according to his ways. The first message is that authority is a gift from God, not a byproduct of human effort. The Apostle Paul succinctly makes this point in his letter to the church in Rome. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God for your good. David and Saul's conflicting views on the source of their authority ultimately pits Saul against David. Now, let me first say that I can appreciate that as Americans, we may be more inclined to view authority negatively before seeing it as a gift from God. When we encounter someone in a position of authority over us, our initial reaction might be to balk. During these encounters, I picture our hearts putting on little tri-corner hats grabbing a fife and drum, and crying out, live free or die. 
while fireworks go off in the background. While we may be more inclined to view authority skeptically, it is in our country's DNA after all. I do not think this negative view of authority is unique to our country. I think all human beings struggle with accepting authority as a gift from God because we have all experienced or have at least seen the abuse of it in our own lives. Said another way, I'm willing to venture that you have experienced more Saul's in your life than David's. In 1 Samuel chapter 24, we are presented with two opposing views on the source of authority. David acknowledges that his authority comes from God. This is demonstrated in the first half of our reading when he chooses to reject his men's practical advice to kill Saul. Even the seemingly trivial act of cutting Saul's robe is too bad for David. We are told that he is heart-stricken because he sees how cutting off Saul's robe, which in those days represented one's authority, is an act of rebellion against both God's anointed and God himself. As a consequence of seeing authority as a gift from God, David assumes a posture of prayer and obedience to God. By recognizing God as the source, David subordinates his will to God's will. We can see this posture of prayer and obedience in Psalm 142 and Psalm 57, which are both attributed to David during this cave episode. These two psalms of lament begin in despair. I cry out to the Lord. They continue on to making a plea. Deliver me from my persecutors. And they conclude with praise. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Notice that David's prayer in these psalms is for deliverance from Saul by God's hands. He even praises God in advance of his deliverance. Despite his precarious circumstances, David completely trusts God with his life. As a result of seeing his authority as a gift from God, David chooses not to take matters into his own hands by killing Saul. Instead, his soul takes refuge in God, and David waits on God to deliver him from Saul. God does not want or need David's kingship to begin with an assassination. In 1 Samuel chapter 24, David chooses to honor God's anointed Saul and God himself by entrusting his deliverance to God and using his authority to persuade his men to do the same. Unlike David, Saul believes that his authority is the result of his own efforts. We see this underneath the surface of the first two verses of this chapter. Saul returned from following the Philistines, took 3,000 chosen men, and went to seek David. If you believe your current position in life is the result of your hand alone, then you will also believe that your hand is necessary to preserve it. Now, if you're familiar with Israel's history, then you know how shockingly reckless Saul's maneuver is here. The Philistines represent the most potent and pervasive threat to Israel's existence. To make matters worse, Saul commands his best soldiers not to destroy an enemy of Israel, but to kill one of Israel's most legendary war heroes. This would be tantamount to President Lincoln during the heat of the Civil War, reassigning his soldiers from Washington, D.C. to pursue General Grant, his own general. I hope you see how outrageous Saul's opening act is in this chapter, 
However, I also encourage you to see just how natural it is coming from a person who believes authority is something to be achieved. Since Saul subscribes to this view, his prerogative must be to protect his authority at all costs. He does this by squashing all threats, both real and perceived, with a tremendous amount of disproportionate force. Remember, Saul's 3,000 ancient Navy SEALs versus David's few hundred misfits. Ultimately, in Saul's mind, a threat to himself is a threat to Israel. This is how he is able to justify jeopardizing Israel's safety for the purpose of chasing Israel's future king. Unfortunately, instead of taking a posture of prayer and obedience to God, like David, Saul only has his fear-plagued instinct to guide his actions. In other words, Saul's refuge is in himself and his 3,000 men. In closing out this first takeaway, that authority comes from God and not human effort, let me ask you, how do you view your own authority? Now, if you're thinking... Uh, that this reading and sermon only apply to how anointed kings should use their authority, let me respectfully ask you to think again. God has given each of you authority in the spheres of influence that you live within. Whether your spheres of influence exist within skyscrapers or community halls, at board meetings or dinner tables, in courtrooms or youth soccer fields, you have authority. So let me ask you again, where does your authority come from? Do you see it like David, as a gift from God, or more like Saul, as something to be earned and preserved? What is at stake here is where you believe your authority comes from directly impacts how you use it. If you are like David, you will regularly assume a posture of prayer and obedience as you discern how to use your authority. You do this because your will is subordinate to God's will. If you are like Saul, you will inevitably rely on your own intuition and self-interest, which will be overwhelmed with the fear of losing it all. You do this because there is no one greater in your life to seek refuge. This leads us to our next takeaway. Authority becomes a blessing when we use it for God's purposes, but a curse when we use it for our own self-interest. Remember the Apostle Paul's message to the church in Rome that I referenced earlier. Authority is a gift from God for your good. By God's design, that's its purpose. However, in practice, especially if you view authority as something to be earned and preserved like Saul, authority can become a curse. To understand God's design and purpose for authority, just think of the creation account. In Genesis 1, God creates the world by bringing order to chaos. This entails his spirit hovering over deep, chaotic waters. Upon creating the world, he gives Adam and Eve authority to steward it for the purpose of maintaining his created order. Therefore, authority becomes a blessing when God's created order is preserved. When we use our authority for our own self-interest, God's created order is distorted by chaos. This is also known as sin. In Scripture, we see this with Adam and Eve, breaking God's one command because of their desire to become like God. Cain murdering his brother Abel out of jealousy. Pharaoh enslaving an entire people out of fear that they may rise up. 
And here in 1 Samuel chapter 24, Saul frantically plotting against David out of fear that his kingship is at risk. Know this, the abuse of God's gift of authority is a reflection of human sin. It is not a reflection of the quality of God's design. When authority is used as designed by God, we see his created order preserved and filled with blessing. In Scripture, we see this with Abraham, modeling what faith looks like in a polytheist world, Moses leading the Hebrews out of bondage in Egypt, Joshua leading the Hebrews into the Promised Land, Deborah delivering the Israelites from their enemies, and here in 1 Samuel 24, David in a cave, trusting God more than his own men for his deliverance. In closing out this message, know that the ultimate blessing for the Davids of this world is that they find their refuge in God. This does not mean that they are immune to the stresses of this life. Quite the contrary, in fact. After all, David has been on the run for several years trying to escape the spears of a murderous Saul. Rather, those who put their trust in the Lord and use their authority accordingly will always have a champion in God, especially in times of trouble. They may trip, but they will never fall. Conversely, the ultimate ending for the Sauls of this world is fear, jealousy, chaos, and defeat by their own hand. In 1 Samuel 24, David chooses to wait on God for his deliverance instead of killing Saul. As the story progresses, David permits Saul to finish his business in the cave and rejoin his soldiers. In doing so, David overcomes Saul's evil with mercy, and two blessings follow. The first blessing goes from Saul to David. When Saul is made aware of David's mercy, he is reduced to tears and affirms God's anointing on David. Saul says, I know that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. The second blessing goes from David to Saul and is best articulated by Christostom, an ancient preacher and theologian from the fourth century who says, what could be more blessed than David who turned the murderer Saul into a father, the wolf into a lamb, who filled the furnace of anger with heavy dew turned the tempest into tranquility, and allayed all the inflammation of resentment. This summer, you have been examining the life of David. As part of this series, you have discovered parts of David's life that point to the life of Jesus. In 1 Samuel chapter 24, David also represents a type of Christ and how he endures suffering and persecution on account of obedience to God. As a consequence of finding his refuge in God and aligning his authority to God's purposes, David's act of mercy turns a wolf into a lamb. What could be more blessed than this, Christostom asks? Let me tell you, Jesus. When it comes to using God's gift of authority for God's purposes, Jesus is the ultimate point of reference and the greatest blessing for us all. Throughout his ministry on earth, he always knew where his authority came from and how to use it to advance God's kingdom. For this reason, the Apostle Paul exhorts the church in Philippi to 
do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is not in my prepared remarks, sorry. Friends, David's understanding and practice of godly authority points to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Resist the temptation to use your authority like Saul by relying on your own efforts for your own interest. Instead, submit your lives daily to the Lord your God. Remember that through your baptism, you were marked as Christ's own forever and commissioned to confess the Christ uh, crucified and proclaim his resurrection. This is your mission. This is what your authority is intended for as Christians. In doing so, God works in us and through us to make all things new. The chaos that we brought into the world through Adam is being righted once and for all through Jesus. Lastly, know that you are not alone in carrying out this mission. To your left and to your right are fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who are in the caves of this world alongside you. Moreover, Remember the resurrected Jesus' last words in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus told the disciples, like he is telling us this morning, all authority in heaven and on earth belong to him. In response, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that Jesus commanded. When we use our authority to advance his great commission, he promises, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us the gift of authority in the mission of working with you to bring gospel order to the sin and chaos of this world. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who emptied himself and died on a cross to become our Lord and Savior. Help us to use our authority like David and to resist the temptation to live like Saul for the glory of your name. Amen.